the church, people have said about the church, that one of the great failings of the church in the West is the failure to send out missionaries. A hundred years ago or so, England was renowned from sending, from this country, sending missionaries out to India and Africa and Pakistan. But now, during the past hundred years or so, that has diminished greatly. In fact, last week I preached these wonderful words. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a wonderful verse. Everyone, don't care what country you're from, what color of your skin, what language you speak, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be saved. What a wonderful message. But as Paul writes this message in verse 13, there's a number of problems that he faces. In fact, there's three problems that he faces. He writes these wonderful words. He knows it's true. He knows that if you go to the other end of the world, if you go to, to, to Africa, or you go to, 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 to China, or you go over you know, to the Philippines, wherever you go, if you call on God's name, you will be saved. He knows that. But there's three problems. And he outlines those three problems. This is the first one he says. It's all in this verse, verse 14. It says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they call on the one they have not believed in? You know, the truth is, we do not need to go to the deepest parts of Africa to find a people who do not know who God is. Just step out the doors of the church. Take a walk down Lighton High Street. Go around into Debden or to Epping or to Rumford. Go around to these places and we are faced with a huge ignorance about God even in the UK. In our own backyard, people who we work with, people who we mix with, People who we have had times of leisure with, they do not know the God of the Bible. I mean, you get these messages, you know, um, the OMG, you know, people say, oh my God. Mainly young, I was going to say mainly young Essex girls, but that might be wrong. Um, Kim tells me that everyone seemed to be saying, OMG, OMG. You stop them and say to them, what God are you speaking about when you say, oh my God? They will look at you as if you're mad. You go along to the AA and the CA and the other addiction places that will help, and you will find that they have changed the God of the Bible. And they turn around to the people who are confused by drugs and addiction that come in. And they will say, listen, you know, the God of the Bible, forget that. Why don't you choose any God that you like? A God of your own understanding. 
And so we live in a generation, we live in a time where people, even in this country, do not know the God of the Bible. Now this is not strange because Paul had the same thing. When he went into Athens in Acts chapter 17, he says these words. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. In fact, when Paul was in Athens, he turned around, he turned around, he was waiting, and Paul was waiting for them in Athens. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Everywhere he turned, everywhere he looked, there was an idol at a corner of every street. An idol for the sun, an idol for the moon, an idol for the rain, an idol for the ground, an idol for the sex, an idol for fertility. Everywhere he looked, there were idols in Athens. And he came across this one, which says, to an unknown God. Just in case we missed one. Let's put an idol right up there. To an unknown God. And so, sadly, my friends, you and I both know that we are not so ignorant as people back in the day who take the piece of wood, saws it in half and half of it he makes into a fire and he warms himself and the other half he carves a god and he puts it in his front room and he bows down and we're not so primitive like that you know that is old school they did that in the past you know they took a piece of wood and they used a bit for 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 fire and for heat and other piece they use it for god and they worship we're not primitive like that we've moved on and we've moved on to other things some of us have moved on to jewelry some of us moved on to houses some of us moved on to cars some have moved on to the body image. I'm not saying that we actually bow down to ourselves in the mirror. We don't go outside our house and, and bow down and pray to our car. But actually, these things have become more important to us than God himself. In fact, they have become a God in and of themselves. That's the truth of it. You look outside. People are baptizing their car every Sunday morning. They're keen because these things are important to them. And they have no idea of who God is. In fact, you stop them in the street and you say to them, do you know something about the God in the Bible? Oh, don't talk to me about God. They will say, God is that old man with a big white beard in the sky. God is a a God who um, wants to stop you from having fun. That's the God of the Bible, isn't it? God is the God who hates certain groups of people. He hates that group and he hates that group. Well, God's a a hater. Oh, God is only for old people. They can't get about. Oh, God is for young children. And they have a wrong understanding about who God is. Now, if they don't know God of the Bible, how can they call out to him? If they don't know about the God of the Bible and you came to them and spoke to them about the God of the word, of, of his word, 
and their faces turn blank. How then can they call on him whom they do not even know? That is the first problem that faces Paul as he writes this letter. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call if they do not know him? Problem number one. What's the second problem? Second problem is this. How can they call on him who they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? So the question follows is this. Is it their fault? If they, if they do not know about the God of the Bible, then is it their fault that they do not believe? Let's face it. If you were thirsty and you didn't know where to find water, then you will die of thirst. The other day, I drove into Tesco's. And after I drove into Tesco's, they were having a, a, a barbecue on the side, some burgers and sausages and stuff. And I got out of my car and this guy walks past and he says, free burgers and free sausages. And that got my ear straight away, and, and I decided, well, why not, you know, I mean, I'm not feeling that hungry, but, you know, can you pass up three burgers? So I just went in there, and I, and I just helped myself, and a bit of sauce, a bit of sausage, and I came out, and it was all free, and I went into Tesco's. As I went into Tesco's, I, I then went into the, uh, the reduced section, and I was standing by the reduced section, and there was this guy, and um, he was going through the reduced section like nobody's business. You know, he was very skinny, very thin, but every item he was picking up and he was checking and he was looking at the prices and he was going through. And I, I stood there waiting for him to finish because I wanted to have a look at this. And he was going through it like a fine tooth comb. Anyway, after he, he finished, um, I was in the car. I looked at him and he looked, you know, he didn't have pots of money. He looked quite poor, you know. Um, he looked very skinny, very thin. And um, I got in the car and I thought driving out of the car, I saw this guy walking out of Tesco's. And I had to grind on my window and I said, hey mate, do you know they gave him free food over there? It's a free barbecue. He goes, what? Where? 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 I go, just, just, you just go, you're going the wrong way. I goes, turn around, and if you go that way, they give him free food. And as I drove out of Tesco's, he was lining up in the queue, waiting to get his free food. You see, this guy, who was obviously in need, did not know where to get something free. There's a verse that I want to read to you, because um, I didn't put it on the screen, but um, it's a wonderful verse in Isaiah. I've got to read it to you. Isaiah 55, um, I think it is. And it says, um, it says this, Come, all you who are thirsty, Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest Affair. That's a, such a tremendous reading because 
here we have God saying to men and women who are thirsty, men and women who are hungry, you're looking for your need to be met in the wrong areas. You're looking for your need to be met in the wrong places. Come, says God. Come to me. You who are thirsty, come and drink. Come and buy food, milk and wine without cost. In other words, God is saying this. I have true riches. That's what God is saying. I have true riches. And if you only will come to me, you too will know what those true riches are. Ah, that is what God is saying. And so, uh, this man, I directed him to the free food counter, and he went. Because we see in the word of God, you know, Jonah had this issue. God had a desire to speak to people in the Bible. The Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So God has looked at Nineveh and seen its wickedness. And God did not just close his mind to it. In fact, the Bible turns around and said this. This is God speaking. Should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120 thousand people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals look at the first line God said should I not have concern even though they're wicked even though they're sinful even though they can't tell the right hand from the left even though they completely hate me I am concerned says God I'm concerned about them I'm so concerned that he turned around and he said to Jonah, I need you to go. I need you to speak to them because I am concerned about the people of Nineveh. And you know, the Bible tells me that God is still concerned. You and I may not be so concerned about the people in our day. We, you know, we look at them and say, they ain't, ain't you know, look at the people out there. Aren't they horrible? Look at them. They, you know, they're people who like to drink and get drunk. And there's people out there who are on the streets. There's prostitutes. There's gangsters. There's pimps. There's drug smugglers. There's people, traffickers. There's people out there who are very horrible. And we get into this place where it becomes us in the church who are meant to be the nice ones and them out there who are meant to be the horrible ones. But that is not what God is about. God is concerned about every single person. He doesn't want the church to be separated and put to one side. He doesn't want that. Sadly, over 25 years ago, there was a religious sect over in Texas called Waco. The test in um, the town, the city was called Waco. Some of you might remember. It's over 25 years ago where a guy there, a guy by the name of um, David, I've got his name here somewhere, David Koresh. David Koresh. He had over 75 
people in this house. 25 children escaped and they are alive now and they're talking about their experience. But what David Koresh did was that he withdrew himself from society and become this religious group and he somehow saw that he was right and everyone else was wrong. And he held himself in this small group. Well, those of us who remember the story realize that the police force surrounded the whole house. 75 people died that day. Four of them were police officers. Some of them were children carrying guns. All because a man did not understand God's heart for people. God's heart for people was that it's not just about who comes into the church. We want to make sure we have the nice people, the one who pay their taxes and pay their mortgages and have no problems in their life. But all the people out there who are in sin and in wickedness, well, they're the ones that, that God not concerned. I want to tell you this morning, God is concerned about the men and the women outside of this building. And do you know what? Once upon a time, you and I was outside a place of worship. Look what the word of God says. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Hold on. I can hear some. I was agreeing with that all the way down. I was agreeing that, yeah, sexual immorality and, and adulterers and men who had sex with other men, they won't enter the kingdom. I'm agreeing with that, but then suddenly the word of God says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. God is concerned about men because God was concerned about you. And you know, the first thing you should say when you read this, the first thing you should come into your heart is these words as you pray, Lord, why me? Why me? Lord, why have you chosen me? Yes, Lord, I wasn't a drug addict. I wasn't a, a male prostitute. I wasn't some kind of horrible, vile person. But Lord, when I look into my heart, I see wickedness and sin. And Lord, I have to say to you, God, why did you choose me? Why did you call me? I've got family, brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, but you haven't chosen them, Lord. But why me, oh God, why? That should be a cry coming out from your heart this morning. Why you? Why are you sitting in this church? Why are you hearing the gospel being proclaimed? Why are you guaranteed a place in the kingdom of God? Why you? The answer should be, I've got no idea. I was a sinful, wicked man. I was a sinful, wicked woman. I have no idea. 
So the third and final problem that Paul looks at. How then can they call on the one they have not believed? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Let's go back to Jonah, shall we? Let's compare two men, in fact. And let's separate the church into these two men. You know, these ones over here, you can be Jonah. So let's talk to you guys first, right? You can be Jonah. I'll come to you in a minute, right? But let's take Jonah. These two men. Jonah heard that there was a city in Nineveh that was really wicked. So what did Jonah do? The Bible tells us, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah knew that there was a city that was very, very wicked. What did he do? The Bible tells us that he ran. He fleed away from God. And yet Jonah, the Bible tells us, knew something about God. What did he know that other people did not know? What did he understand that other people did not understand about God? Well, he says it himself. He says this. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, that is why I tried to force Shaphtor by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. God, I knew who you were. I knew that you were a God who was kind, a God who was loving, a God who's abounding in love, a God who forgives sinners. I knew that, Lord. So that's why I ran. I wanted to keep all that information about you to myself. I knew that if I went to that city and they're so wicked and they're so cruel and they're so horrible, you're so loving, God. I knew that you forgive them and I want to keep that to myself. That was Jonah. But this group, you, you guys, you're Jonah, right? You, you want to know about the love of God. But like Jonah, so many who know that God is gracious, that God is compassionate, that he's slow to anger, abounding, oh, what a wonderful word, abounding in love. Knowing that, just keeping it to yourself. Jonah wanted to keep it all to himself. But let's compare him to someone else, shall we? Let's compare Jonah to this other group, this other man. Let's compare him to Isaiah. So you guys, you can be Isaiah. Now Isaiah was a man and he had a powerful encounter with God. The Bible turns around and says this about Isaiah. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw something, he said. I saw the Lord. He was high. He was lifted up. He was exalted. He was on a throne. 
In fact, when I saw God, Isaiah was turning around. I didn't even hear him speak. I heard the angel speak. And when the angel spoke, their voices were so loud that the doorpost of the temple was shaking. Not the voice of God. The voices of the angels shook the doorpost. He says. And when he saw that, the Bible turned around and said that terrible fear came upon Isaiah. So much fear. The Bible says that he cried out, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. That's who I've seen. I'm wicked. I'm sinful. I might be in the church. I might be a pastor or a preacher in the church. But when I saw him, I realized how wicked I am. I am wicked. My heart is wicked. My lips are wicked. And I live amongst a wicked people. He says, woe is me. He was filled with terrible fear. As seen an awesome king of glory. So when he heard a question, there was only one way to respond. He heard a question coming from God. Look what the question was. Here's the question. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Here is God, not just the God the Father, but you've got the Trinity right here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who shall I send and who will go for us? Father, Son, and Spirit. Who will go for us? Here is God in his awesome power, in his awesome might. Not the kindness, the graciousness, the lovingness of God. But no, his awesome strength and his awesome power. And the question goes out. Who will go? For us. Now, my imagination, if I go back to Isaiah, I will see Isaiah with his knees knocking together, hiding in a corner, terrified. But Isaiah did not have his knees knocking together. In fact, Isaiah speaks up. What does he say? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Hold on, Isaiah. You just seen God in his power, in his awesomeness. You just been terrified. You have just been saying, Woe is you, you are ruined. Yes, I know, says Isaiah. But when God asked that question, Who will go? I had to put my hand up and I had to say, Here am I. Send me. You know, we need a combination of both what Isaiah knew and what Jonah knew. We need a combination of them both. We need the awesome, dreadful fear of God upon the church. But also we need to know how loving, how compassionate, how gracious, how tender this God is. We need what Jonah knew. And we need, and we need what Isaiah know, and we need the combination to come together. So as we come back to um, our problem, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? 
How can they hear in Loughton? How can they hear in Debden? How can they hear in Rumford? How can they hear in your workplace? How can they hear in your family? How can they hear unless someone goes to them? We live in a nation. Never mind going over to Pakistan and preaching the gospel. Never mind going over to Africa and preaching in the bush. Never mind going. How about preaching in our own neighborhood? How can they know unless someone tells them? And sometimes we need, I think we get too much of this, what Jonah had of God. You know, Jonah just had the the, the, the powerful experience of knowing that God abounds in love. And I'm telling you, God was so gentle with Jonah, just puts him in a fish. Submarine him all the way down. Give him a ride all the way through. So kind to Jonah. But to Isaiah, God said, listen, I'm going to show you something of myself. I'm going to show you who you're dealing with. I'm going to show you true power, true authority, true splendor. I'm going to show it to you. And that vision of God caused Isaiah to say what Jonah did not say. Jonas heard and said, I'm out of here. Isaiah heard and said, send me, oh God. I'll go. I'll go. That's what he said. Here am I. Send me, because I know your power. Because I know that not only you have that power, but you have a love and a compassion. Lord, I'm willing to preach. A final verse in that verse, it says this. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? Let me just sit up right there. I want to tell you, you know, when you get sent, you can only go by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't let any man send you. Don't go by the strength of man. The Spirit of God sends out his workers. And if you want to be a servant, you need to make sure you get on your knees. You need to make sure that you're filled with the Spirit of God. Don't start speaking to man about God. Some of you are so quick. Yeah, that's a great message. Let me go and find somebody. Speak him about God. Don't speak to man about God until you spoke about God. Spoke to God about men. Speak to him first. Go to him first. God, I'm speaking to you about the men in my family. God, I'm speaking to you about the woman in my family. Lord, I'm speaking to you first. And once I'm done, then I'm going out and speaking to someone else. Make sure you speak to God first about men and women before you go out and speak to men and women about God. Yes, you've got to be sent. Look at this verse here. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you know your feet can be beautiful? I had the embarrassing experience of having to take my stinking socks off last night at a game that we was playing in this church and to mix it with other men's smelly feet socks as well. It wasn't pleasant. But you know what? I don't care how smelly your feet are. I don't care how big your feet are or how small they are. Your feet can be beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? 
You know, when we speak about the armour of God, some of us always speak about the armour that protects ourselves. You know, we love the armour. Some of us say, yo, I love the shield of faith. I can really get with the shield. Some people turn around and say, oh, you know, I love the helmet of salvation. Oh, I love the sword of the spirit. And they, and they talk about these wonderful parts of the armour that protects us and we can use it for the power and the kingdom of God. But one thing they do not often speak about is what goes on your feet. And what goes on your feet, the Bible says, is the gospel. And with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I want to tell you how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Your feet should be fitted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So wherever you go, you carry that gospel. Don't just carry it into church. I'm coming to the church this morning and here I'm going to talk to others about Jesus and talk to him about how much I love him and I'm carrying the gospel in church. I want to tell you, if you're wearing shoes today, those shoes will carry you into your own home. Are you carrying the gospel into your own home? Those shoes you're wearing will take you into your workplace tomorrow morning. Are you carrying the gospel into your workplace? And I'll tell you why I'm saying it with such force. I'm saying it because the people in your workplace and the people in your family do not know the God of the Bible. But you do. And you know that the God of the Bible is a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. You know that. But you also know that he's an awesome God, a God to be feared. A God not to mess around with. A God who will one day bring you to the bar of his judgment and say, come here, let me talk to you about your life. You know that. But therefore, on your feet, have the gospel. And as Paul says in that last verse that I just, just read there, how beautiful are your feet if they're fitted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. My dear friends, there's empty seats around us. Why are those chairs empty? Why? I mean, praying. We don't know the faces or the names of those people, but those chairs are going to be filled. Why? Because God is concerned about people. And if you love God in any which way, you will also be concerned about people. It's not about getting to heaven. As long as I'm in, I'm okay. No. It's not about you getting in to heaven. It's about you being the hands and the feet of Christ while you are here on earth. You will not evangelize in heaven. You will not share the gospel in heaven. You won't have your feet covered with a gospel of peace in heaven. That will never happen in glory, but it happens now. And it's an opportunity that you and I have to make that word of God real, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, anyone, any place, any nation who calls on God's name will be saved. That's God's passion. 
I know it's my passion this morning. I pray it may be your passion as well. Don't leave it to evangelist. Don't say, oh, oh, Ez is the one who has that meeting on a Tuesday and, and Wednesday. He does the job. Oh, Jerry, he, he, he preaches. And, you know, he... Don't leave it to others. God is calling you. And you can either be a Jonah this morning or you can be an Isaiah. Jonah's in heaven. So don't, I'm not telling that you won't get the glory. Jonah's in glory. But you could be a Jonah this morning and run from the presence of God. And I'm praying with all my heart that there will be Isaiahs here this morning. Isaiahs who raise their hands up to God in prayer. And they will say to God, I'm an unclean man. Lord, I've got unclean lips. Lord, I live amongst the people who are wicked. But here am I. I don't know what gifts I've got. I may have none. But here am I. Send me. And with those words, God will push you out to where he will want you to be. Let's pray. Father, I've spoken for you this morning. I've spoken for you because I know that you are concerned about men. So many churches want to stoke up the ego of their hearers. Make their people in their church feel more comfortable, more content, more happy with their lives. But Lord, I know that your heart is breaking because Lord, there's people who are dying in their sin. Lord, your heart is breaking because there's people who are still on drugs and alcohol. There's prostitutes who are still being used by pimps and and others, Lord, in prostitution. There's people out there, oh God Almighty, who are still stealing and still robbing and still lying and still killing and still murdering. Lord, you're concerned about these people. And I thank you, Lord, that today we've heard that you are about to do something, Lord. In fact, you have done something 2,000 years ago. You sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was nailed to that cross that he might declare sinners and ungodly men righteous in your sight. You have done something, oh God. But now, Lord, now, you are speaking to Goldings. And you're saying to this company of people, I desire for you to share my concern. Share my concern for the people that I've died for. Share my concern for the people that I love. Share my concern for the people who are walking away from me. Share my concern before it's too late for them. Share my concern. And Lord, I pray that you might help us to first get on our knees. It was a coincidence that Grant read that verse. When you pray, shut the door. Help us to go, oh God, first into your presence. 
shutting the door and saying, oh God, give me opportunity to speak to this person. Give me the words. Give me the strength. Thank Lord, fill me with your spirit. I cannot go on my own strength. Send me, Lord. But before you send me, equip me that I might do it in your strength and not my own. Thank you, Lord, that you've spoken about prayer today. We're concerned. We're concerned for the nations. We're concerned for Great Britain. My fear is, Lord, maybe this sermon, Lord, should have been preached in many churches years ago. Because now, Lord, Great Britain has become a godless nation. We don't know you. We don't even understand you. The majority of people that we mix with don't know the God of the Bible. And we pray that you might now, before it's too late, inspire us, fill us with your spirit, and use us for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.